0: I couldn't have been a poet when I was a politician because I had to be more careful of what I said and, and censor myself sometimes. But as a poet, I find I, I just let it all hang out.
1: Governor Madeline Kunin, welcome back to the Vermont Conversation.
0: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be back
1: you've written a number of books but this is your first book of poetry when did you begin writing poetry
0: well in a way i wrote poetry off and on just for the fun of it for a long time and i always enjoyed reading poetry but i started to write seriously probably about four years ago roughly um occasionally and then then I became more engaged in it and wrote more continuously. I had some poems in my previous book Coming of Age, My Journey to the 80s and then I decided to write some more and have a book with 100 poems in it.
1: What can you do differently in poetry that you can't do in prose?
0: Well, that's a good question and I think poetry is more concise. Uh, You have to know what you want to put down and what you want to leave out. And I think it's more introspective. Um, It's very different from being a politician, which I was for several years. Um, As a politician, you're an extrovert and you, um, you have to be listening to others and you have to be an an outside person and you have to be more careful and what you write and what you say and as a poet you're more of an introvert and you're exploring your inner thoughts and, and feelings and hope that they are understood by the reader by the outside person so I couldn't have been a poet when I was a politician because I had to be more careful of what I said and and censor myself sometimes. But as a poet, I find I, I just let it all hang out. <laughs>
1: it, it, was it difficult, you know, in public life, you're constantly needing to be concerned about your image, about what you say. How difficult was it? or has it been for you to kind of take off that armor and reveal yourself?
0: Well, it was surprisingly easy. <laughs> I think partly it's getting older. Uh, as you get older, contrary to what most people might expect, you can take more risks uh, because you're you're free. I felt a certain freedom as I got older and as I wrote poetry, Um And my pleasure came from when it was understood by others. And uh, it wasn't really difficult because I'd entered a new stage of my life.
1: Hmm. Who do you think of as your audience? When you sit down to write, who do you picture on the other side of of the page?
0: Well, I don't... Picture too much, but I picture somebody like me. But um, to my surprise, I mean, a lot of my poems are reflections on getting older, changing, both physically and emotionally. They're poems about my former husband, John Hennessy, who um, who passed away three years ago and we were very close. So he inspired me to write and to write about him. Uh, And he gave me the confidence to write when he was alive. He he was a true partner and we had so much in common. And he was also my first reader of everything I wrote. So uh, I just felt, I just felt, a certain liberty uh, to express myself. And the real pleasure is when people respond. I mean, somebody told me the other day that uh, I cried and I laughed at your poems. And I took that as a great compliment in the sense that she felt close to what I felt. She felt in reading it close to what I felt in writing it.
1: I wonder if you could read one of the many poems that uh, really struck me was New Year's Eve at Wake Robin, um, in which you write about dancing with your late husband, John. I wonder if you could read that for us.
0: Yeah, that, that, that was an early poem actually that I wrote. It was just such a beautiful sight to see this woman, elderly woman wheeling her husband in a wheelchair around the dance floor called New Year's Eve at Wake Robin. The wheelchair danced in circles to the rapid beat of the Onion River Jazz Band. She was young again, unbound, free, no longer pushing him, but flying with him on the dance floor. He waved aside the ribboned oxygen tube streaming behind him. I grasped John with both hands and brought him to his feet, placing the walker within reach. He moved his head and then his arms and then his feet to the music. We danced, we sang with the walker between us and love inside us. Mm. It's it was just so nice to be able to dance even with the restrictions that he was under.
1: It's just such a beautiful image of how you've continued that dance uh into your later years of life and even when your partner uh you know needed wheelchairs and and walkers to get around uh you still found a way to dance. Um you write a lot about love, loss, loneliness, especially during the pandemic. Um, can you talk about how the pandemic affected you? And you're in a community of uh, you know people of a similar age. Uh, what you observed, how it affected older people.
0: Well, you know, I tell myself I have no right to complain. Because I'm in a very fortunate position and have been so throughout the pandemic, Um, I live at Wake Robin, a what they call the continuing care community, and I live independently. Um, We've had no cases of COVID here, fortunately, but still, COVID um, surrounds you. You can't escape it, and It's affected me by being more alone, of course, which is true for most people, um, and figuring out how to live happily being alone, or at least live contented. And I wrote some poems about this period of pandemic. Um, I think in a strange way, COVID has made people look to poetry because we're so bombarded by the news. And I think we search for something meaningful and that takes our minds away from the daily onslaught of the news. Um, So I think it's just made me more of an introvert, but then also very happy to be an extrovert. a week, little more than a week ago, they opened the dining room uh, to communal dining at Weggrauben. And the first day, the first evening when we were in the dining room, everybody felt this euphoria. You could hear laughter, you could hear chatter, you could greet the staff and smile. And uh, it was just an explosion Uh, of euphoria uh, and made us realize i think all of us how important being with people is being sociable um i mean i could be a hermit for a little while but not very long and i just realized to be human is to be social to a degree
1: Hmm. um I wonder if you would read a a poem uh, that you wrote called Home Alone on page 81.
0: Home Alone. This was during the pandemic. I think too much about myself when I'm home alone. No one reminds me to get up at eight or turn off the light at 11. I sleep past the alarm and feel remorse for lost minutes, even hours. I used to be punctual, arriving in good time for dentists, doctors, and friends. The hands of the clock held me fast, marked my movements around the day. The pandemic has sickened my clock. It can no longer tell me what day it is. I luxuriate in being timeless, living alone, except when I open my eyes, to my jittery television screen, and the head of a fully-gown nurse appears and tells me that she has just finished her 10-hour shift and is going back to work.
1: What did it take for you to get through this past year when you couldn't see family and grandchildren and children?
0: Well, writing really helped. I'm just one of these people who's driven to be doing something and to be creating something or learning something or teaching something. And every time I wrote a poem, I, I felt the day had been spent in a worthwhile manner. Uh, it's just a compulsion that people like me seem to have. So I think being creative really, Really helped me a great deal, and the telephone and zoom uh, although an email all that was important. I mean some afternoons I would just go through my contact list and call an old friend, and old friends called me, so just keeping track of these lifelines was very important, and I think I think. All of us now know more than ever uh, how important our friends and family are. Uh, And I spent more time, I think, than when everybody was working and busy. I spent more time talking to my children. And uh, we really had much longer conversations than when everybody was running around doing their daily tasks hmm. so that was good um, and went for walks uh, walks were very good and we could go with walks with this we had to choose a buddy at Wake robert hang out with and i found a good friend and we sometimes combine our d- d- take out dinners that we got from the dining room and we'd either eat at her house or, or my house. And again, it deepened our friendship. So while it was lonely at times and unreal, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you're not sure what day it is, or or you think you had spent that day already, uh, Uh, So there were awkward things and disturbing things, but the main thing was to keep in touch with those you care for and love.
1: Um, I wanted to shift a little bit uh, to politics. And, um, you know, as I watched President Biden's speech to Congress a few weeks ago, I uh, couldn't help but be struck by that image of Vice President Kamala Harris and Speaker Nancy Pelosi standing behind him as he spoke. And of course, at one point he turned to acknowledge them and the historic nature of their very existence on the dais with him. What were your thoughts as you saw that?
0: Oh, I was absolutely thrilled. Um, It was the best image that really it blasted out to the world that times have changed that women had risen to real leadership positions and it was beautiful somehow I, I stared at them as they stood up to clap as they sat back down and of course i remembered when there were always two men there behind the president and they didn't always agree sometimes one would clap and the other would sit down and John Boehner with his sort of dour face uh, as a republican he couldn't bring himself to applaud Uh, but it marked a revolution uh, a revolution that women not only belonged in the congress uh, they belonged in leadership that they were helping to run the show and um, I actually wrote a short piece about it uh, for the Shelburne News because I was really struck by it, as you are in asking the question.
1: Hmm. You know, as we look at these, uh, some of these leaders, you are now 87, uh, but you're not that much older than some of, you know, Speaker Pelosi is 81, Senator Leahy is 81. Um, Do you ever look at them in their work and think uh and, and of course uh we have a uh, senator feinstein from california just got reelected at age 85 or 86. can you imagine still being in politics and and you know waging statewide campaigns
0: no <laughs> no <laughs> I, I mean i suppose if i had to i could do it but i i i'm at a different stage of life um and I, um, I never thought of politics as a lifetime occupation. I always knew I wanted to go beyond, beyond politics. I loved being in office. Um, I loved being governor and ambassador to Switzerland, but uh, I, I knew that I had other forms of expression myself. And I wanted more time for people from, and for the arts. I mean, your, your schedule is really controlled by others when you're a politician in elective office. I mean, you can't say no when they invite you for their annual event uh, from interest groups. So I, I wanted to be free of that pressure I I admire people who continue uh, for that length of time, but I didn't want to be dependent either on the applause of a crowd.
1: Hmm. Younger uh, women politicians in particular often seek you out for guidance and advice. What is your advice in 2021 to women who are interested in running for office?
0: Well, I'm very pleased when they ask me. And of course, that's one reason or the major reason that I founded Emerge seven years ago, uh, which is an organization that's in 24 states. And Vermont, I founded Vermont as the 14th state. And the main reason I did is because it's still obvious after all this time that women need a sense of confirmation, a sense of certification, affirmation, all those Asians uh, to feel competent, to feel qualified. And Emerge has done that, has given them training in public speaking and fundraising. And the groups that are in a class together. Uh, form a collegial circle and help one another. So I just would advise them to jump in, no matter how hard it looks, um, That and to consider themselves qualified. If they're unsure of that, they can join an Emerge program. But uh, women turn out to be very good politicians and they They work hard, they stand up for what they believe in. Of course, they're different Republicans and Democrats. And so they don't all think alike, which we shouldn't expect. We don't expect it of men. Um, And sometimes it's hard when you look at uh, Liz Cheney, who's going through this pretty awful scrutiny. but then again, you have to admire her, even though she's her values are different than mine, but I admire her courage, her grit to say what she honestly believes so there's still room for more women uh who have those have strong beliefs are convinced they want to change things, and especially in Vermont uh, Fortunately, we have not experienced the real nasty, down and dirty kind of politics that is so prevalent on the national level. And it's fun and it's interesting and it's stimulating. I learned so much in my political life and I also got so much satisfaction from it. So I encourage women and I encourage them to believe that they can do it and make a difference. Hmm.
1: Well, we do seem in Vermont, um, sort of on the the edge of a precipice here where we're going to break some sort of glass ceilings. We have Jill Krawinski as speaker of the house, Becca Ballant as the Senate president pro tem, Molly gray, Lieutenant governor. And the possibility that, uh, uh, perhaps in, uh, the next election, one of the Washington offices. So there's the possibility here that we may finally be in a, p- a position to send a woman to Washington or to elect a woman governor. Do you, uh, are you willing to make a wager as to which will happen first?
0: <laughs> I don't know, but it's about time. Um, you know, we, we have excuses for the fact that we're now the only state, embarrassingly enough, that has never sent a woman to Congress. And we can make excuses saying we only have one congressperson. Um we love our incumbents so they don't leave office voluntarily. Um but it's it's about time. So I think the minute there's a wake vac- a vacancy, um a lot of people will jump in, not just women, but men, too. Uh, so we have to be prepared for the competition, but I hope that day will come soon.
1: Your life has been bookended by the threat of of authoritarianism, uh, first when your family fled Europe as the Nazis were sweeping across uh, the continent. And now we see the threat of rising white nationalism in this country and an anti-democratic insurrection led by President Trump and his followers. How concerned are you by the current state of affairs? I mean, there is, uh, you know, the the slimmest of Democratic majorities in Congress right now in the Senate, the 50-50 Senate. Um, And it seems that, there are these storm clouds on the horizon that uh, we are teetering back and forth between the specter of authoritarianism and democracy. I wonder if you share that sense.
0: Well, I share that anxiety um, and tend to worry about it. um, I guess what's most puzzling to me, is the number of people who still pledge allegiance to Trump and ignore uh, what he stands for, and the fact that he is still projecting the big lie that he won the election. And without evidence, there's not a shred of evidence that there was anything faulty. With the 2020 election and yet people are drawn to it. So that frightens me a little bit. I wouldn't say it's exactly like Nazism, but it has it has sort of pinpoints of a dictatorship, if not a direct dictatorship of people influenced by rhetoric and and racism and Uh, just a real negative sweep uh, and demeaning people, and so I think we have to be wary of that, I think, and the voter suppression that is going on in Republican states, so I think we have to be vigilant to protect our democracy and to push back. And uh, that's all the more reason for more people to enter politics because is, we have to have voices that will speak out and speak the truth. Uh, I mean, this election was fair uh, and it wasn't even close. So um, I, you know, I try not to worry about Nazism, but some of these extreme groups are anti-Semitic as they are anti-Black and anti-immigrant and anti-any any stranger who doesn't confirm, conform to their prescription of who is an American. So I think while it's a very joyful time in some ways, I mean, I'm happy when I remind myself that Joe Biden is president And when I find myself cheering with his proposals, for example, like cutting child poverty in half. So I think this is an exciting time in that sense, but it also is a fraught time with danger signals. And that means we have to be strong and we have to be as honest about what is happening as we can.
1: Well, we began uh, our conversation with poetry, and I wonder—I'd uh, like to end it. Um, I wonder if you would just read a favorite poem of yours from "Red Kite, Blue Sky."
0: Well, you're very nice to ask. Uh, this is a poem that's part of the title, and it was written uh, fairly recently, and it uh, was written on a day where I felt sort of downtrodden by the pandemic and a little bit sorry for myself. And then I went for a walk, it's called Blue Sky. I have time, a bushel full or or a truckload, a storage unit full of time. Still, I portion time out carefully, almost like in the old days except now I stretch my neck and raise my head and keep it there until it hurts to look at the blue sky. Long ago, before coronavirus, I looked at the sky for weather or at night for stars. The blue sky gave me answers by the hour. I didn't even say thank you. Yesterday I went for a walk and gazed upward, expecting little. I looked up at the blue sky. The longer I looked, I saw more layers of blue. The blue sky had depth, a clean teacup of blue without a crack. I could see through one blue to find another blue. The longer I held my head up, blue became more blue. Until I continued my walk and thanked the sky for being blue.
1: Well, Madeline Kunin, I want to thank you for joining us again on the Vermont Conversation.
0: Well, thank you, David.
1: Madeline Kunin is a former governor of Vermont, and her latest book of poetry is titled Red Kite, Blue Sky. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this in all shows at vtdigger.org/vermontconversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.